Hello, and welcome to episode 144 of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods. On this episode of TBR Podcast, I talked to a team of undergraduate scholars and their graduate student mentor about the Student Assessment Researchers Program, or STARS program, at UC Davis. The Student Assessment Researchers, STARS, believe that student voices should be included in conversations about assessment of student learning at UC Davis. Undergraduate students have the opportunity to share their experiences, perspectives, and expertise of their academic journey through the Curious Aggies Project. The Curious Aggies Research Inquiry is a dynamic and collaborative effort with a strong emphasis on humanizing research through the partnerships created by our student researchers. In this, UC Davis undergraduate STARS have been trained to recruit participants, conduct interviews, and to analyze data in ways that value the student perspective. For this project, they employ both qualitative and quantitative analyses of data, provide descriptive statistics from the survey of responses by categories such as year, major, transfer status, socioeconomic standing, ratio-ethnic identity, gender identity, and first-generation status. Their research represents a grounded theory analysis of interview data. They believe that student-led research is important because it ensures that data collected about and with students is analyzed by students. Through Curious Aggies, student-led research makes it possible for undergraduates to contribute to create change that will benefit our learning. Featuring Graduate Assessment Research Fellow Jennifer Burke Reefman and Undergraduate Student Assessment Researchers Mick Pinaroyo and Lauren Torres, I hope you enjoy the interview. Who are you? What's your name and your title and your institution and your role there? Who are you and what do you do? My name is Jennifer Burke-Griefman. I am a PhD candidate in the School of Education with a designated emphasis in writing rhetoric and composition studies at UC Davis. And I am also the lead graduate researcher with the Student Assessment Researchers, or STARS, as we like to call it. My name is Mick Penaroyo, and I'm a recent graduate from the University of California, Davis. I recently acquired my bachelor's in sociology, and right now I'm still working as part of the student assessment research team as one of their quote-unquote undergraduate researchers. Yeah. Oh, and I'm also a grant writer as well for 501c Insight. So. I am Loren Torres. I am currently a fourth year undergraduate student studying anthropology and sociology at UC Davis. I have been a part of the STARS team for almost two years now. I joined my second year and the official title is Student Assessment Researchers. Um, and that's what I'm currently doing on campus. 
so a, a simple question really to start what what is the stars program um and but but to make it just a bit more complex what is it and then how did it come to be yeah so the stars program began as an opportunity to put undergraduate students in conversation with their fellow undergraduate peers about their experiences with assessment. Um, so it started with like more casual conversations and then it's really developed into a very robust research endeavor where undergraduate students with, along with you know some trained up graduate students will conduct empirical research and act as the co-creators of the questions, the collectors of the data, the analyzers, and the people who help us distribute all the information we learn. I wonder then, Lauren and Mick, well, you might not have been behind the scenes, right, with the developing the program. What, it, what interested you in the opportunity as undergraduate students to work on a project that is focused on assessment. I think what drew me to this project is how it was very oriented to undergraduate perspectives. Like there was nothing else on campus that really reflected undergraduate thoughts and opinions on how undergraduates are being assessed. And since UC Davis is a very, has like a competitive air to it, it is very important for students to get good grades and be supported in their learning and just set them up for the future. And it was one of the only projects, if not the only project on campus that was willing to take on students as actual researchers rather than assistants. Um, for me, when thinking about assessment research and when I was first looking into the position, I never thought about research as a theory or topic before I even looked into the job, but assessment is is everywhere, obviously. It's how we're graded, it's how we're looked at in class. And it was exciting to now put that into practice. What exactly is the importance of assessment and how do even I as a student feel towards how I'm being assessed in the classroom? I wanna focus more on the opportunity uh, to, to perform research as undergraduates. Um, and I think that's something that kind of, that Mick kind of brought into the conversation, right? Um, why is this something that you value? Is it because of the competitive air? Is it because you want to go to graduate school? What do you think are some of the motivations that drove you to really reach out and become a part of this program? And then what are, how does that connect to some of the other motivations and values of students on the ground at UC Davis, perhaps? So for myself and speaking to the significance of being a researcher on campus and being able to have this opportunity, I personally, at the time of coming into Davis, I had never thought about being a part of research before. And so the fact that this opportunity was available, I learned about it through soci uh, sociology email list. And I thought it was so cool that I could actually be involved in the nitty gritty research process, conducting interviews, because all I knew about research at that time was it was something that I would do in grad school. It was never something that I thought I could do in my undergraduate years or something that I couldn't do as a humanities student, because I had heard of STEM research labs and things like that. 
but this was really different in the sense that I could actually feel like I could add something to being on the team as well as getting firsthand experience about a just how to conduct myself in any sort of interview process and learning more so about how to converse with people in that environment as well it's given me I think a leg up in higher academia for sure I think you really need to stand out especially or that's how I feel as a first generation student is you need almost everything good on your application to be seen as different or to stand out so it's also given me that but that wasn't really as much of a motivating factor at first it was that I was actually able to do something that was different that I really thought I wouldn't be able to have access to until I was years into my and for me I think what drew me to the position was the large writing component contributed to the position like there were as a transfer student there were limited opportunities for me to do extracurricular activities in the short amount of time that I had so uh, when this position was open I jumped at the opportunity simply because it was like oh you're able to conduct the research yourself as well as write on the results that you gather and to me just being able to uh, implement my own analysis on how my peers assess their learning that was also something that I didn't think I would be able to do so, and that's what essentially drew me to this project. One of the themes that I um, am picking up on is that it's important for undergraduates to be involved in performing research, but it's also important for undergraduates to be present in research done on undergraduates. I wonder if uh, you all would like to speak to that point. <laughs> um, sorry, Loren. I... I would say it's one of the most important things ever, especially because every time that we do address ourselves in conferences or just presentations, we are the youngest people in the room or the only people who have proximity to the undergraduate population. Like I'm sure everybody there has an undergraduate experience, but we were the only undergraduate team that was actually presenting what they found on undergraduates. And to that, we also have a sort of advantage because undergraduates are more willing to talk to people closer to their own age, which we have seen in our interviews and just like in our day-to-day -day lives. So we found that it was so, so important to see ourselves reflected in the things that are being written about us, essentially. Yes, to add on to what Mick said, also when writing the findings, it has the voice of a student and what we're saying. I say it as we, because of course we have the people that we do, um, the students that we've interviewed and their experiences. A lot of them are also first generation students like myself. Um, and so I found that common connection. And when you have that thought, it makes you also more involved in the process as a whole. Of course, you're already involved, you know, as your role as a researcher, um, but to have that more humanizing role, I feel like the students also appreciate it, that they're talking to a peer and not to an adult. And not to say that adults can't care, obviously, like, of course. But it's just different when you're a peer talking to another peer. You have a better conversation, a better ease of conversation. They feel more comfortable. There's that likeness there. 
And I think that's reflected in how we write about the project as well as how we look at certain themes that we see. Yeah, I think we see that reflected a lot. And when we're talking about analysis of our findings, we think of it as kind of this um, really in-depth member checking that we're doing where we can talk about interpretations of what some people are saying or the themes that we're picking up on. And Loren and Mick can go, yeah, that's my experience too. So that makes a lot of sense. Or they can go, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about that. And maybe we'll do some more work. Um, and I think it adds a layer of rigor and nuance to the research that we wouldn't really have if if the people who couldn't speak to those experiences most formatively were in the room with us. I think this might be a good time to talk about the systemic nature of a program like this, right? And that it's responding to legislation, learning outcomes, et cetera. Uh, Jennifer, perhaps you could talk a little bit about how that, how this uh, program works in relation, in your local context in relation to those things. Yeah, we started out um, primarily located in what would be like our teaching and learning center here, the Center for Educational Effectiveness. Um, and it was really brought about because of kind of equity concerns, concerns about transparency around student learning that, you know, I think every university, especially a large university who serves diverse students has. Um, but we've we've sought support elsewhere, too. Um, so we recently uh, had an HSI seed grant to particularly talk to Hispanic identified students on campus and understand assessment with that demographic, particularly. Um, and this year we're working with an IDEA innovation grant to focus more on writing and writing across the curriculum assessment, particularly. So we've now we're now connected with the university writing program, which is my home department, um, you know, and thinking about what, how can we work with a writing center and really branching out and making this a broader effort across campus. This is really fascinating. Um, I love, like, because like, I, for a, a variety of reasons, right? First of all, I'm at an emerging Hispanic serving institution. So some of the things that you're talking about in relation to your diverse student population and meeting their needs through practice and in the classroom is some of the things we're thinking about, especially in this moment right now, a few years into the pandemic, et cetera. <laughs> it seems like it's something different every day, uh, you know? Um, and I think that that's really interesting that you all are taking that approach. I'd like to learn more about that grant. Um, another thing that I heard earlier that I wrote down that I want to mention is that I've so appreciated you all talking to the authentic, authentic voice that comes out in the research when you involve undergraduates on undergraduate research. I thought that was a really great point. So why do people think assessment's a dirty word? <laughs> and why do you all think it's not a dirty word? I'm going to try to think about it. I feel like people's first thought when they hear about assessment is grading. And grading, yeah, whatever experience yeah. you grading, I'm sure everybody has a negative connotation probably. Just a right. smidge. Just a smidge. Um, and for us, assessment is also just a way of how a student is gauging their own learning. Um, and how they actually feel towards how they're learning in the classroom, what they're taking away from the classroom. So assessment is more of a, well, obviously it's more of a neutral term for us. 
And instead, we're trying to learn more about what assessments are actually more helpful as opposed to more of a rigid grading scale quantitation. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with Loren simply because so many people hear that word and think of a standardized rubric that they have to adhere to or just a bunch of rules and policies that the university imposes on the instructional faculty that needs to perform these assessments. But to us, assessment is something that is a source of empowerment, especially for students who understand that how they're assessed can be changed if given the voice and given the opportunity to address their concerns and explain how they could be uh, comprehensively supported throughout their academic journey in college. Mick, you're reminding me of in our first kind of inquiry where there was so much confusion from students about what even the word meant and how it impacted them and what it meant when the class was done. Um, and so I think that's really pushed us to keep asking questions, keep asking bigger questions about assessment um, to make sure that students feel like their learning is mattering in the ways they want it to matter and that it's not a confusing game that they have to sort out, that it's a, an accessible, transparent, clear endeavor. And so they can complete the reason why they're even in the institution to begin with. So I know that you all do a lot of different types of projects and research studies, different methods like interviews, you have to do recruitment even, and um, you're kind of guided from a grounded theory approach. Um, what are some of like, this is, what are some of the day-to-days, right? The day-to-day -day stuff you're doing with this project. This can be local stuff. See, oftentimes we might get caught up in some of the bigger picture stuff. I want to know, like, what, what do you do as a part of the STARS program as uh, assessment specialist? And I know I wrote that down wrong. I'm sorry. So we've tried to, since I've been involved with the project in starting in 2020, we've tried to think of a kind of yearly cycle of research um, where we're recruiting new undergraduate students because as it so happens, they tend to graduate and go on to bigger and better things. Um, we're training them and we're training them in the process of, you know, these established leader undergraduates are also completing the work of that that season, so to speak. So um, for the last three years, we've launched a survey. We've gotten it out to the campus as much as we can. Um, the survey has used been used as a recruitment tool for what we do. We have the one-on-one -on -one interviews or focus groups. And then we usually spend, we're on the quarter system, so we usually spend the half of the winter quarter and spring quarter doing analysis and then the summer kind of going, okay, what does that mean? How can we put into practice? Um, this year is a bit of a different story because we're spending a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to actually inform the campus. Um, so we're working on building workshops for faculty across the disciplines and thinking about writing specifically um, and just generally about how to make their assessments more transparent and transferable to these students using the findings from th this last summer. Um, the pandemic, I'll just I'll just dive into that. The pandemic was um, I think a strange time for the stars. I they had started and I was brought on because the pandemic had essentially stopped 
the process. Um, and so they had all these transcripts, they had a survey and they didn't know what to do with it. And uh, their previous you know, reaction was to kind of just do a basic descriptive statistical analysis of things like let's count the occurrences of words. Let's just tally up the results of the survey. Um, and I was recruited to push that analysis a little bit further and demonstrated with the stars at the time that we could do a really in-depth, thorough, grounded theory analysis of the interview transcripts and look at all the rich data we found. And that kind of pushed us into the next year um, and hiring Loren and Mick, who are here with me today. Loren and Mick, uh, this is going to be off topic of the STARS program, but would you like to... I would appreciate if you have anything to share about how about how how you have navigated being an undergraduate student throughout the pandemic. Um, I know that this is a little off topic, but I would be remiss if I did not ask this question right now based on this podcast and the content that we produce. It during the pandemic like when it first started i was not at uc davis yet and i was at my community college and i'd say that establishing a routine that worked for me was one of the most important things i had to learn in order to keep myself motivated and accountable of performing college work throughout a pandemic um i'm sure as you've seen across every social media website ever, everybody absolutely hated that time. Like they did not enjoy being isolated from their peers and they felt like what they were doing didn't really matter in the broader context of things when the outside just felt like nothing was going to get better. And to that extent, it was really difficult to continue performing or conducting like just basic homework assignments and doing all of that. But again, having a routine where I would wake up and go onto my computer and see what sort of Zoom meetings I had set out for the day, as well as all of the assignments that I had that were piling up and just trying to tackle it, just stick it day by day. I think that was the most important part where it was just a step-by-step -step process of making sure I would get through it. And I did, thankfully, because I also had to work on college applications as a transfer student. So I was also having to keep my own deadlines and make sure everything got sent out properly. So it was very overwhelming, if I were to summarize it, just overwhelming, but we're here. We did it. Myself, I was a senior in high school at the beginning of the pandemic. So that last semester was literally a joke. Um, not to put it and make it sound so bad, but it, teachers also just didn't know how to navigate online learning as well. It was new for them. Yeah, obviously we, everybody needed time, more time to learn how to navigate that space and learning all of that together of how to do that, how to wake up, be in the same house all day and still learn and try to be motivated was a huge struggle for everybody. And then going into Davis that fall, um, all classes were online for UC Davis as freshman year, but I moved to the dorms. So I was in the dorms, isolated by myself, still going to class online. So 
as a student, I literally would wake up, log into class, after class was done, lay back down, go to class on Zoom. And it was just a recurring cycle of getting up, sitting at my desk, getting up, sitting at my desk. And it was honestly, I, I dreaded it every day because it wasn't fun. But obviously, I think that's what made me more excited to do things again my second year. And that's when everything became more in person again. Um, that's when I became a part of the STARS program. It gave me a lot to do. And even though we were working asynchronously, a lot of the time we would have our meetings on Zoom, just knowing that I had something to do that wasn't in that same sphere of class was great. And it helped me get more into the actual college routine. I really appreciate that, Lauren and Mick, sharing a little bit about your experiences as undergraduates in the uh, during the pandemic. Um, I can say more about that, um, but I just want to thank you for sharing. So your mission is to involve undergraduates in research about assessment on undergraduates. This is great. And you were guided by some core values, including curiosity, equity, intersectionality, and adaptability. So an easy question might be, how did you come up with these core values? Sure, I want to know about that. But I want to know why these four values are important in relation to assessment. I was waiting for Mick to unmute because they wrote a lot of that content that's on the website. Um, <laughs> well, we know that curiosity is important. We wanted to make sure that we didn't have any presumptions about how students already felt about assessment. There's lots of research on assessment, but we didn't want to make assumptions about, okay, that's that research directly applies to our student body as they exist right now. Intersectionality is something that we've really developed and practiced. We wanted to make sure that our research was informing and supporting the most historically disadvantaged students on our campus. We wanted to make sure that our research team represented those communities in, in spirit and in, in identity. Um, and so we were deeply concerned with making that kind of at the core of everything we were doing is considering all the different ways that identity and background and experience can compound on an individual student and impact their experiences with assessment. Being curious and remaining sort of like accountable to the research that we conduct. I think it's just so important for us to always evolve our questions based on the demographics and the dynamic, um, the, dy the dynamic shift that occurs as new cohorts enter the college system. Like even though we, our findings have given us a lot of important detail as to how the current cohort views the assessment practices on campus, that's going to shift, that's going to change. And that's an inevitable thing. So we constantly have to remain curious about ways that we can be better and continue to serve these populations that 
need have different needs. So did all three of you get to go to Norway? We did. Yes. All of us. <laughs> How was that, Mick? And others jump in as well. Cold. Very, very cold. As Southern California natives, oh my goodness, that was so cold, so snowy, but beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. My favorite time of year is Christmas, and I felt like I was in a Hallmark movie the entire time that I was there, especially Trondheim with the colorful architecture and just, it was really nice to be somewhere that wasn't hot 24-7. Lauren, Mick, and Jennifer presented student-centered research to understand student perceptions of writing assessments and writing transfer at the Writing Research Across Borders Conference in Norway. Lauren, Jen, Jennifer, what else do, what else do we, might you want to share about that? that presentation and topic or just your experience in Norway, which I think is probably super cool. I think I remember seeing some pictures on folks' uh, social media too in the field. I was super jealous. It looked beautiful. Yeah, we felt really lucky that we all got to go. We had to do a lot of searching for funding for that to help support that because it's not a quick trip for anyone in the States, but especially us in California. Um, and then we got to spend some time doing a little travel together afterward. And I think that was really fun. Uh, as far as the presentation went, I, it, I think it was great. I was so impressed by Mick and Loren um, speaking to this, you know, very established group of scholars on writing assessment where I was like, oh, that's such and such. That's, you know, and and they were just great as presenters, super articulate, answered the questions really well. I wouldn't expect anything else, but I felt like such a proud leader of the team in that moment. Um, and then we got to have some fun afterward, which was really, really great. It was amazing. I wanna go back to Norway. I wanna possibly live in Norway. I love Norway. It was amazing. Being there at the conference was also really cool as well. We met one of the individuals that we uh, quoted before in our analysis, and the person actually came to our session, and me and Mick were having a little, like, oh, my God. Um, and that was really cool because it was nice to see that someone of that established in academia nature show up and also be interested and ask questions. That was really cool. That's awesome. This is uh, just like on a personal note, like these, these type of opportunities are, are what we're supposed to be doing in our jobs. So this is super cool that you got to be, that you got to go do that. Uh, I'm jealous and you're all getting to go do that. Uh, it's kind of changed my approach to conferencing. <laughs> <laughs> the conferences that I'm actually applying to these days. Uh, okay. You've got some new projects that have been going on uh, that have revealed some findings uh, about undergraduate experiences with writing across disciplines. Uh, maybe you can tell me, somebody tell me a little bit about what the project is, and then that can kind of cascade into a conversation about what you all have discovered. So this iteration of the project, we were particularly concerned with individual assessments. We had spent a lot of time just like getting sentiment around assessments or 
even understanding students' dispositions around student learning outcomes, you know, asking like, I, I, kn I know what student learning outcomes are and I understand how they imp impact my learning. Um, but this time we had enough survey responses that we got to ask really pointed questions about different assessments. Um, and one of the things that we spent a lot of time with was focusing on writing assessments. Um, and so I'll let, I'll let Mick and Lorenz speak to the rest, but these are largely from the, I think 35 different interview participants we had across campus um, from varying majors and um, yeah. I feel like Mick and I are just looking at each other like, do you want to go first? Do you Listeners, they are looking at each other, deciding who will go first. <laughs> Basically, we really focused on how writing assessments were perceived by the undergraduate population. And we noticed a few common themes across every group. Uh, for context, we particularly interviewed students who identified uh, who were who self-identified or were inst institutionally identified as a student of a student of color and we found that so many of them if not all of them had this sort of idea that writing assignments meant freedom especially because of how they were able to assess their learning in a way that isn't rigid compared to a traditional timed exam or a quiz. Like they were able to convey what they learned in a sort of storytelling manner, which I thought was really thoughtful and really interesting in the way that they view how writing assignments can bring out an outlet, can act as an outlet for student work and scholarship. I think Loren could speak to more of that as well. Yeah, I will move on to the, I think Nick honestly summarized that one perfectly, so I could move on to the next one that we found with a lot of participants. Um, we had quite the array. We did have a lot of Hispanic identifying participants as well, and that was not quite the majority, but it was quite a few of them. Um, so what we found was that students find the traditional grading of writing assignments that we have, such as using a rubric that professors can put out on their syllabus pages and their files. A lot of times students feel like they can be too subjective and they find that they have to tailor what they're saying to the individual person that they're writing for, like the individual professor. But the thing, the problem that we are seeing that students voice is that there's inconsistency between the TA and professor. So at least at Davis, our classes are very big. I imagine at a lot of other universities, it's the same thing. And oftentimes you never know if it's gonna be the professor actually being the ones who grade your paper or if it's going to be a TA. And there's a lot of inconsistency on how those two people grade and it, lead to a lot of frustration obviously within classes because you could have an essay that's really good and we even have one student who voiced for example that they had an essay that they did for two hours they got a B they thought it was like okay I'm good but then the same participant um, did the same amount of work and got a 97 and that's a huge inconsistency because I'm putting in the same effort but why are the grades so different so a lot of times it's a lot of inconsistency and students would like to have a more almost I don't 
want to say uniform because one of the great things about writing is that it can be simple. But just having more of a concrete idea, possibly within every single class, the TA professor being more in conversation with one another about what they want, that's a second sign that was apparent. And I'll add, I think because it's particularly interesting to me that students often felt that writing was essays and not things like case studies or lab reports. That wasn't writing. Um, and yeah, and so their paradigms of what we would all consider a writing assignment were a little mismatched, um, but they consistently spoke about this kind of shifting goalpost, goal line, whatever that saying is of, I don't know what it's good writing is, look that looks like in this class. Um, so I think when the runs, you know, what we're talking about is a lot of what we're going to be focusing on the workshops coming up is how do you make the practices in your discipline, the things that you want students to know, how do you make those transparent and not just visible after the fact, after the grade? Um, and as particularly, how do we move away from more of a product focused moment where students are just being graded on one draft and that's it and there's just a grade and there's not a lot of feedback to something where they can actually work with that and revise because a lot of students suggested that if they only had known beforehand or if they had a chance to do it again, they would have done it differently. Certainly there are different approaches to assessment, right? Uh, I was in a book club uh, two years ago on ungrading. Uh, a lot of folks here are thinking about, con uh, well, my best friend for graduate school is uh, the contract grading and assessment as an assessment scholar. Um, folks here are thinking about grades as in my local uh, place are thinking about grades as surveillance. A lot of people will think about that. Uh, I wonder if you all have actually thought about that uh, assessment as surveillance in any of your stuff, uh, pro different projects. And then maybe an ex uh, maybe I'll just ask my second follow up in a minute. Yeah, I'll jump in because these are these are particularly interesting findings for me because. The university writing program here, um, myself included, almost exclusively uses contract grading or some form of contract grading or portfolio grading. And so when I hear this notion of, you know, like the lack of incons consistency that students are feeling around grading, I'm wondering what it's looking like in these other classes. I'm trying to conceive of what the prompts are, what they're being instructed to do, what the grading is based off, if they even know what the grading is based off of. Um, so yeah, it's a it's definitely competing with my beliefs about grading and the need for there to be transparency with with your class about how you're grading their work. Navigating that's tough and like constant, right? Especially in, in our profession. Mick and Lauren, is there any been a finding or a moment since you've been involved with this program and Jen, Jennifer, you as well? that you've just been surprised by something that you've learned? And if so, what was it? I don't think I've necessarily been surprised by anything, but I will say what is surprising is the staggering amount of students who have worked so hard to get into UC Davis don't feel like they belong. And to that effect. I feel like there's something inherently wrong with the way that we are uh, addressing higher academia because to even get into 
UC Davis is an accomplishment in and of itself, but throughout every single interview, and again, these are students of color, first gen, low income, underrepresented, almost every single one of them expressed a sense of, I am not good enough, or I will not be good enough compared to my peers. And that just needs to change. Like something that the sheer amount of people who have said that about themselves is so discouraging and disheartening. And it's something that I felt myself as well. Like it's something that we can all relate to. I think Loren and Jen and I have spoken about feeling like this in a lot of our meetings as well, but it's just a systemic problem that we've been seeing across all of them. Well, who's gonna follow? Who's gonna follow that up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. What Mick said. Hard. Period. We've seen that a lot with students. They're here for a reason, especially with our. Um, as Jen was talking about, we had our HSI grant and how a lot of Hispanic-identifying students also voice that they feel like they're simply not doing enough, and especially with the fact that they didn't have adequate resources in high school. Um, and then when they come to Davis to have all of this different, well, A, you're treated a different way when you're in college as you should, you're older, more things are expected to, of you, rightfully so. However, they weren't equipped with how to respond or how to act or how to speak in these environments. Because I feel like a lot of instructors as well do expect you to have some sort of communication style that works with how they've navig navigated higher academia or how they believe they should be treated as an instructor uh, with certain jargon that you might have to use. And it was really sad to also add on to what Mick said, how students are scared of asking questions even. They don't want to be docked by instructors. Because if they ask a dumb question, they don't want to be seen as a dumb student. And that's really awful that students have to think about that because the instructor is here to help you learn. Ideally, they're not going to judge you. But I've also had instructors in my own experience be like, well, that's in the syllabus. Did you not read it? And to have those call outs, obviously, it's going to push students to never ask questions. It's going to push them further into a shell. And to have students also verbalize their own experiences with that and how they feel towards instructors with the intimidation factor, it's very sad. And of course, I knew it inherently, but it's another thing to actually hear my peers speak about it as well. Yeah, I'll just add that in the in the data, in the codes that we were constructing, we, you know, we talked a lot about like emotional affect and how to capture that. And a lot of the codes were fear and anxiety and intimidation and power differences. It's not that there weren't anything, there wasn't anything good going on. It's not that there weren't students who were confident, but it was a lot of students, I think because they got to speak with peers who were like, yes, relate, who were expressing these really upsetting and frustrating instances they'd had that made them feel like maybe I just shouldn't at all. I mean, this was going to be like 140-something episode, 140-something when this is published, talking to leading scholars in the field, uh, leading scholars in different industries and different areas. And I, 
it's one thing to read and discuss among professional academics what you all are saying. It is very powerful to hear it from undergraduate students. Uh, just another, uh, I don't know, like kudos is the right word for that authentic approach to this type of research. As someone who is working to develop uh, innovative opportunities for undergraduate students on the podcast and uh, through my other endeavors, um, I just want to say that this is one of this is a model for how we can get undergraduates involved uh, in a in a valuable way. I am beyond impressed with this work and with speaking with you all today. Um, so let's put the wheels down on the interview. Then, uh, what is something that you would want? So. Jennifer, this question is a little bit different from you for you, but but Lauren and Mick, what what would you want your instructors to know about your student approach to assessment, right? Like as the student, Mick, you'll have to put your student hat back on for just a second. All right. So what like if there's like this one thing or one or two things, like what which would you want your instructors to know? What are we missing when it comes to talking about assessment? And Jen, you can fill in the blank and fill in the blanks as colleagues. The first thing that came to mind for me personally is for instructors. Obviously, they got to where they are for a good reason. They are accomplished individuals. They're there for a reason. Of course, there is value to them, obviously. I, I'm not bashing instructors, but I think it, when you're at that sort of status, and when you carry yourself, it can have a very, it can possess possibly a negative tone when talking and conversing with students who do not are not at the same knowledge level as you are. Something that you've done for years, a student in an intro class is not going to know the same. So just maybe a little bit more guidance and consideration with the tone in the classroom and how one portrays themselves, which I know is a lot of more, it's a lot of intrinsic work, but I think that's one thing. And that could go for literally everyone ever, just having a little bit more mindfulness. That resonates with me so much as someone who started teaching graduate students in the last two years and is having to think through these things. Um, Lauren, thank you for that. I'd say that I think it's important for instructors to really reflect on the way that they address a class or even an individual because in the moment you tend to forget like how you convey yourself and these are all children who were three months away from their high school graduation like especially if you're teaching a freshman course like these are young people trying to navigate the world on their own usually for the very first time and so there is always going to be that sense of intimidation carried by an undergrad. And it's important for professors to put in the work to essentially bridge that gap. Otherwise, students are going to feel the way that we've seen um, scared of asking questions. And you don't want to cultivate an atmosphere of intimidation. You want to foster the really bright and brilliant ideas that a lot of undergraduate students have to offer. So just taking a moment 
to reflect that they these people need more help like loren said like some guidance and gentle pushes into becoming wonderful wonderful academic people the work i've done on this project has impacted my teaching so much in that every time we have a conversation i return to my materials or like a question a student has had and gone like oh man <laughs> what can i do what can i do um and so i think you know i've been i've been teaching writing in post-secondary context for over 12 years now it's like my 13th year i'm going into there's never enough you can do to make things visible and transparent and accessible to your students and it's a good reminder to have in the back of your head to trust your students as experts of their own experience. They, they know what they're going through better than anyone else. And the further we get away from that moment of being an undergrad for the, in our first writing class, the, I think the further we are from understanding that experience in some ways. I hope you have a great afternoon. Like, I cannot stress to you how impressed I am with this work that you are doing. And I cannot wait to share this with my colleagues uh, uh, here in Texas. So thanks. my interview with Jennifer, Mick, and Lauren. I am so glad I got to talk to this group and to amplify the important work of these undergraduate students. Y'all, we might need to hear from more undergraduates on the podcast. Gosh, these undergrads were so impressive, weren't they? Thanks, Jennifer, for helping to set this up. All right. I'll be back next week with another new episode of TBR Podcast. Until then, always be listening rhetorically. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is produced by Exalt Digital Media. Exalt Digital Media, not for profit. The Big Rhetorical Podcast was recorded on the land of many native nations, past and present. These original homelands are territories of indigenous peoples who are largely dispossessed and removed. We specifically acknowledge the traditional stewardship of this land by the Wichita, Kikapu, and Tawakoni peoples. Music for the Big Rhetorical Podcast is brought to you by DJ Lane, Stefa Helix, and Ribera.